Greetings, fellow ACA members. This is board member Ashley Whitmore from Tehachapi Municipal Airport. You're listening to ACA Calm One, the podcast series, bringing the latest news and information to California GA airport professionals. Welcome to the first installment of the Association of California Airports podcast series. This series is intended to provide ACA members with an ever-growing library of information as presented by industry leaders and experts speaking on a wide variety of subjects relevant to airport management and operations. Today, we will be hearing from the regulators as they discuss a very timely topic that is, frankly, causing a lot of grief for, for their offices as well as for airport sponsors all across the state, and that is airport land use compatibility planning and compliance or staying in compliance with your state and FAA obligations. So with that, I want to introduce our three panelists today. Amy Choi is here with us and she is the chief of Caltrans Division of Aeronautics. Um, Not so new to your post for a little over a year now and we're super glad to have you here today. And then we have California's two airport district offices of the FAA. And we have Catherine Kaysen. She's the manager of the Los Angeles ADO and Lori Suttmeyer, who is the manager of the San Francisco ADO. And I just wanna say thank you and welcome to all three of you and appreciate you being here to discuss this topic today. Before we jump into the subject, I think it's appropriate to point out that you three are some very important people to airport sponsors in California. And I wonder if for, you know, maybe some of the folk that don't aren't familiar with you, if you could just take a few seconds to explain to the viewers how you view your role or the role of your offices just generally. Amy, if you want to go first. Sure. Thank you, Richard. And thanks for having us here. I'm really uh, looking forward and excited for the opportunity to, to talk to everybody today. So I'm with Caltrans Division of Aeronautics, and we are the state regulating authority for airports, heliports. So we have our annual grant. We offer airport improvement program matching grants at the state level, and we permit airports and hospital heliports and perform uh, school evaluations uh, for new schools proposed within two miles of, of an airport. So really we're the state regulating uh, regulatory authority and we work in conjunction with the FAA. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Lori, would you like to talk about the ADOs? Sure. Again, my name is Lori Suttmeyer. I'm the manager of the San Francisco Airport District Office. The ADOs, airport district offices, are there's 22 of us across the country. And we primarily serve the airport community with support as far as uh, airport design guidance, um, where the, the, the link between the airport and perhaps many of our lines of business within the FAA, be it the air traffic organization, there's, we link our, within the airport's uh, division, we with a link with um, the airport certification safety inspectors in the 139 airports or our runway safety office, if there's runway incursions that are happening out in the airports, we get involved in a lot of that. Uh, we have planners, engineers, and environmental protection specialists in our offices. We provide, um, as an organization, we provide up to $3.6 billion in airport improvement funds for to help fund airport development out on airports. We work with sponsors to protect airspace, basically to to 
help the sponsor or the airport manager operate and maintain the airport facility for the good of aviation, not just there in the community, but throughout the state. And actually, it's helping it maintain its position within the National Plan of Integrated Airport Systems. Point being, somebody from Florida, if they wish to visit their grandparents in one of the locations here in California, they should they should be able to plan on landing at a facility that uh, that is being maintained similarly all across the country. That's great. Thank you. Anything to add to that, Catherine? Um, so I'm Catherine Kaysen. I'm uh, new to the California area. I uh, became the ADO manager for the Los Angeles ADO in November of 2020, moving during a pandemic. And I would basically say ditto to what Lori said. I, you know, all of our ADOs function similarly, and Lori and I work very closely together. Thank Great. You. Appreciate it. So airport land use compatibility planning, that's kind of a mouthful, but really aren't we just saying that it's super important for airports to be mindful of the land uses that we ultimately allow to be around the airport? And what are the best ways to go about that planning? Right, isn't that kind of just what we're saying in lay terms? Yes, absolutely. Maybe we could start with you and if you could talk maybe a little bit about what the airport land use compatibility plans are and what role the airport executive plays in educating uh, the folk around them. Before we even talk about the airport executive, it should be known that there is a statutory requirement for counties to have an airport land use commission. There are two that don't uh, because they meet uh, another requirement of either having their planning section uh, looking over programs or projects near an airport and, and planning for airport land use compatibility. But these air, um, airport land use commissions were designated by the state legislature to in, ensure that public health and safety and welfare uh, with the orderly expansion of the airports and the community that surround the airport. So the community is trying to minimize the public's exposure to excessive noise, safety hazards, um, and anything that would be new that's not already existing. So there's airport land use compatibility plans that are studies and plans made by airport land use commissions and then adopted, which then would drive a general plan update for the community. And this is now where the airport executive airport sponsor can step in is, is working with the elected officials and why it's important to have these airport land use compatibility plans adopted and that we're not working off 20, 25 year old documents with inconsistent uses because maybe the general plan of a municipality doesn't quite align with uh, the airport land use compatibility plan. And that really puts both the community and the airport at a, at a disadvantage. And I can stop there and, and let my partners here speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I think for Lori and Catherine, could you maybe cover some of the importance or how important you feel it is that uh, airport managers uh, work with the planning and zoning commissions? Okay. Um, I'll I'll start off first, Catherine. So in the world of FAA and the airport environment, our airport layout plans and all of a lot of our planning guidance is centered within the airport boundary fence. It is ultra important 
for sponsors to realize what is going on outside the airport fence within the community, particularly as the community abuts the airport, because that obviously has the potential to have quite an impact what the airport or the, the sponsor or the, the, the community can do with its facility if the airport is hemmed in or if decisions are made to construct infrastructure in close proximity to the airport to the point where it would have a negative impact on the ability for the airport to operate, for aircraft to safe, safely arrive and depart the airport. So although the, the FAA focuses its airport designs and its guidance on interior to the airport, we are very cognizant of what happens outside the airport fence and how that impacts the airport operation. But the federal government's jurisdiction does not go beyond the airport fence, whereas the state has, within the legislation, it has the capability to help the community monitor and manage what goes on outside the fence so it does not have that negative impact on the airport. That's a great point that you brought up there, Lori. And Amy, I know that several years ago, Caltrans partnered with the FAA and got a grant to do a whole bunch of airport land use compatibility planning in California. And we were the recipient of a, of a couple of those. And it was a very interesting process. And I think what a lot of folk might know, and straight to Lori's point, is that plan generates a map, you know, and it's got zones on it that are all go all the way around your, your airport. And it will tell you what uses are preferred and what aren't. Houses, for example, are a very bad idea to be off the end of the runway. Other noise sensitive uses like hospitals or schools, right? So it, it gets, goes into great detail and breaks out zones unique to your airport and your communities. Do you think, Amy, that there's an opportunity for Caltrans to uh, partner again and help us get more of these plans done in the state? Absolutely. And I think that that might be the, the best way moving forward to, to, to meet that immediate need. Uh, that's one of my goals. My vision, big vision is to have all of the airport land use commissions with updated airport land use compatibility plans. I know we speak about it from an airport centric viewpoint, but it's really about protecting the community. Elected officials have a responsibility for protecting their community and the assets that lie within it. And that is like you were just talking about, Richard, the the homes, the noise sensitive groups that are getting put in that are new. We can't do anything about existing other than helping to mitigate that noise. And that's what the airport land use compatibility plans do. It documents existing uses and says going forward from the state, we should not do you know, place any more incompatible projects, homes, high density dwellings, whatever it may be in certain zones um, you were talking about. And then it lists the airport influence area. So when there are projects, what needs to go to the airport land use commission for review for compatibility. And it would just be great, yes, to move that forward, to have that document, to then be able to go to, again, the elected officials that might not be in the day-to-day operations of the airport to have that and be able to look and say, you know, if I'm doing the best for my community, my most vulnerable groups, it might not be a good idea to put X, Y, or Z here and just sort of try to find that balance um, where communities can grow, but they're being sensitive to 
potential noise and safety hazards, and then also letting their airport grow and be vibrant because we know our population is only growing and these airports really serve a vital role to the community from whether emergency, you know, day travel, they can be anything in time of a crisis They can operate as not an airport, you know, uh, shelter staging. And, and it's just really fortunate for the community that has one and utilizes that asset well. Yeah, great. Lori or Catherine, what, uh, in your opinion, what types of actions could a municipality take that would compromise land use compatibility or uh, have a negative impact on airport operations? Like, what does that look like from the FAA perspective? Um, I, I think to start is just, you know, failing to be aware of and uh, communicating with the community. That's one of my biggest thing is that they need to work in partnership with their community. And so that partnership will, you know, help foster a good environment for the airport to grow. And that communication, nothing's worse than the community to hear about a project on or near the airport that the airport hasn't informed them of that they haven't had an opportunity. So that keeping the community informed, you know, at every step of the process, I think is one of the most important things. And nothing tanks a project faster than failing to do that, I think. That would be probably the first thing I would point out. Lori, um, I'm sure you could add some other things. Actually, I think that that's perhaps that is the most important aspect that that not only provides keeping that communication line open and keeping that helping the community understand, as Amy was explaining, how valuable that airport asset is, is to the community really helps in times of when, whether the airport is experiencing some growth or uh, the, they, the community has to pour a certain amount of money into the runway, and yet they would like to reline their local swimming pool. And when a decision has to be made between two or more needs within the community, it really helps the community understand what is the value of each of those assets to our community. And a lot of times the airports are viewed as the rich man's paradise or it's only there for the rich man. And yet the ability for the air ambulance to come in and out for search and rescue to operate out of the facility for the economic development, the, 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 the engine that the, the airport provides to the community. A lot of those aspects aren't really understood by the community members. So to Catherine's point, it, it's not only important as far as the projects that are being undertaken to for the community to understand the needs for those projects, but to also be able to weigh the decisions that they make as to how that will or will not impact the airport or the, the infrastructure in the community. That the, the having that line of communication open and continuous, having having the airport actually be a member of the community and active in the community. I think it's ultra important. I absolutely agree, Lori. No, an airport does need to take that active role. I think for so long uh, in the industry, it's been be quiet and be the good neighbor. Don't disrupt. And I think that that is where we've gotten to be where we are today or why we've gotten to be where we are today is that our airports have been doing a great job at, at being quiet and conducting their business and growing and there are communities that do better at that cross communication with the the regional planning, city planning, local planning, and airport planning. Um, and then there are others that are just really good at 
at maintaining a focus on the airport, um, right? Because the quiet neighbor is the good neighbor and you don't get people upset at you and you can continue on. And so with the growth that we're seeing and the pressure uh, demand for homes, affordable housing, and just in you know geographical locations that might be constrained, airport adjacent land looks really good. Uh, and again, this is where we need to shift that viewpoint of presenting it from a community standpoint, because it truly is a community position. Is, is that really a good idea to put here for both the airport and the, the people that you're going to be placing in these areas or the businesses that you're going to be placing into these areas? So exactly. just really, really important. Were you going to add something, Laurie? I think we're we're all we're all reiterating similar points and again to to Amy's point a lot of airports have been they've wanted to take the back seat and step out of the limelight and to everything it's a double edged sword you do that and you miss the opportunities to step up and show where the airport actually aided the community be it as i said search and rescue uh, the life flights the economic development that there's a lot of towns where the doctors fly in specialists fly in just to be able to perform some type of community that otherwise the the community members would have to travel outside the community to try getting that aid and those opportunities i think at times get um, because you know, people are afraid to step up and say look this, we did provide this service to the community and i think a lot of times too see that service because it's being done, I won't say under the radar, but done very quietly and very efficiently. But that there are, there's quite a bit of documentation out there that show the benefits of the airports. And in this day and time when land is so dear and people are constantly looking for another location to build a home or the condos or parks, the temptation to crowd the airport and perhaps move on to some of the airport property is understandable. But I think we, we again, I, we need to take the opportunity to step up and say, wait a minute, this is the gem. It's a hidden gem in your community. Yeah, no, I start trimming away, right? And I think what you're getting to is uh, something that a lot of us have experienced, especially if you're in major metropolitan areas like Los Angeles and San Francisco, right? You know, planning going back several decades wasn't what it is today. And so you see quite quite vividly the negative impacts that airports have had to deal with when it comes to poor land use planning, right? And I think in our last conversation, several were mentioned, including, you know, shortening of the runways having to set up noise offices because your airport is getting so many noise complaints, right? Implementing voluntary curfews and uh, those kinds of things. My question along those lines is, is there any risk to airport sponsors, but for having to make these operational concessions? Yes, from the FAA's standpoint, again, we work interior out into the interior of the airport from the fence line in and aircraft as they are arriving and departing from the airport they're flying certain flight paths and depending on if that's an instrument approach or a visual you would have a, a steeper or more gradual climb gradient 
which then puts the aircraft perhaps lower or higher, depending on if it's the VFR or IFR, on the approach. And if you have infrastructure that is being developed within that flight path, just under the flight path, and it's going to be more sensitive to those type of aircraft operations, the FAA will not be going to a community and say, you can't put that piece of infrastructure there. What we will look at is for an aircraft to safely fly that flight path, be it the 20 to 1 or 40 or 50 to 1, whichever that flight path is, for them to safely fly it, we have to take a look at your runway threshold and we have to have the sponsor, the airport manager, adjust the actual threshold so that that places the aircraft in a position high enough to miss the new obstruction that now exists outside the fence. So the FAA cannot say, don't put in that infrastructure. What we will say to the airport is, instead of your 10,000-foot runway, you're going to have to lose 2,000 feet of that or some distance of that just to be able to shift that flight path to a point where it clears the obstruction. So absolutely, by, by not understanding how a certain piece of new infrastructure is going to impact the airport a community could inadvertently end up losing runway length as we work to adjust the length for a safe arrival departure path. I see. Catherine, yeah. do you have anything else to add on the compliance piece? Like how might an airport sponsor get themselves into hot water for, um, you know, you know what I mean? Like what, what, um, Compliance issues might uh, headquarters have a problem with. <laughs> yeah, so so my, my background is I did work in compliance and headquarters before I came here. So so the global answer to that is not knowing and not following their grant assurances. You know, when you sign for that grant, you, you sign those grant assurances. You say that you, that's what you're going to follow, and. And I have had less experience out here with that in airports to this point. But in the past, I've done land use inspections or gone on them. And not everybody was aware of the land of the grant assurances or, you know, they just hadn't read them in a while. So I think just going back every once in a while and taking a real perusal, just it's, you know, 34, 35 grant assurances, just reading those and seeing what applies to you and whether or not you're still following them. They're, they're fairly simple. They're fairly common sense for the most part. You know, make sure you actually own your land. You know, that's that's a big one. You, you need to have control of your airport. You know, make sure that you're, you know, you're not granting any exclusive rights, that, that you know, you're, you know, granting access appropriately. So those are some of the big ones in terms of the grant assurances. And I think if we start there, I mean, there are, you know, lots of ways to get in trouble. But for the most part, we don't see a whole lot of that. And, and treating your airport as an airport, you know, occasionally, you know, from my work back in Washington, you know, airports were seen as a great community asset to hold, you know, a 5K every weekend. And so you're going to shut down the airport runways to have pedestrians and you know, children and everything taking over the airport. And that's a great community event, but you can't displace your users or, you know, take the airport away. You know, it's it's an airport first and foremost. It doesn't mean that it can't be occasionally a place for a community event. But if you're going to do that, 
you have to clear it with the FAA. You have to contact your ADO. You have to, if it's a towered airport, you know, you have to get those clearances. So, you know, it's just those simple things, I think. I don't know if you want to add more to that, Lori. No, well, well done. So I, yeah, in listening to your and Lori's comments on the, on the subject, would it be a fair summarization to say the FAA does not have a role in ensuring compatible land uses are upheld? It depends. Um, okay. If it's within the airport boundary, we do. If it's outside of the airport boundary, we don't. And I have to go back and add the qualifier. If it's within the airport boundary, Congress has taken away some of our ability to regulate some of what goes on in the airport boundary. Too complicated to get into here, but um, if you need some great nighttime reading, if you suffer from insomnia, go find um, Section 163 in the 2018 Reauthorization Act and kind of uh, make sense of that. But yes, we do have, and we encourage and we support airports to the extent we can to you know make sure that they're to the extent that they can, not violating, or it's not a violation, but they try to ensure that they've got compatible land use. Um, you know, if, if you can go to your town council meetings, and if they're proposing to put that, you know, 20 story hotel just at the end of your runway, that might be a good time for somebody from the airport to arrive and say, have you thought about this? And so, so there are ways informally, even if you don't have control, to be able to at least let the airport's position be known. So, Lori? So, yes, I'd, I'd like to add just one nuance to that. Everything Catherine just mentioned is, um, is absolutely correct. For everyone to remember, a, a note for everyone to remember is when the federal government, when the FAA is looking at investing in the airport, Although we do not have jurisdiction, as it were, outside the airport boundary, how the community handles the land uses outside the airport boundary may have a negative impact on airport operations. So when a community is, is asking the federal government for millions of dollars to invest within the airport, of course, we're looking at how is the community ensuring that 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 federal investment is being protected. So for the the federal government to provide the funds is the community looking at operating, maintaining that airport as an airport well into the future, and is it upholding its grant obligations? And invariably they are. But there is that little bit of a nuance to say we don't again, we although our jurisdiction is within the airport boundary fence, what goes on outside the fence does have an ability to impact what happens inside the fence. And we consider how that's what, what's happening outside the fence. Richard, if I can add to both what Catherine and Lori are saying, uh, the state also can't go in and tell a community what to do, but we do have that airport land use compatibility plan uh, requirement in our statutes. Uh, with the airport land use commissions. And this is where we can work together with the FAA to ask the airport executive 
have you reached out to your airport land use commission? Do you know if you have an updated adopted airport land use compatibility plan? Because then the community or the airport can show that to the FAA when they're looking at their grant saying, yes, we've complied with state and local requirements for compatible land use. And so that that's another important note is that we can't come in as a state and tell a community you can't do that. But when a community overrules an inconsistent finding of a project, so it goes to the Airport Land Use Commission, the Airport Land Use Commission deems the new building project is inconsistent or incompatible with the Airport Land Use Compatibility Plan, but the project sponsor says, we understand that we're going to move forward with this project anyway, and they build it. In theory, the people that approved the overrule take the responsibility and liability for that inconsistent use. And ultimately, it shifts back to the airport, whether it's like what you were saying earlier, Richard, the noise program has to be developed or what Lori was saying, the runway has to be shortened. All of these decisions that are made external to the airport actually have a negative impact on operations and the utility of the airport. When you start having curfews, can you get that uh, life flight aircraft? You need an aircraft, not a helicopter, because you have a long haul flight that needs to go just what are the long-term impacts to the operation of your airport and is it sustainable? So that's what we try to look at with those airport land use compatibility plans. And to bring it all home together, I'd, I'd love to be working with the FAA to, to get more of um, those plans put into place, working with the airport land use commissions and, and our airport sponsors and, and helping the airports of California thrive. Amy, you mentioned that a municipality could override the ALUC. What does that look like? I mean, like, how does that work in practicality? The the ALUC comes out with with a finding and what the city says, forget you, we're going to do it anyway? Uh, That would be the short answer to your question. It's a little bit more drawn out. There are public hearings and it, it will go to city council or board of supervisors. It's voted upon. And yes, so the ALUC reviews it. We also, Division of Aeronautics, our planning staff reviews these. Uh, We get a a notice of intent to overrule an an ALUC finding. So we comment on these projects. And now, again, with our our new strength and relationship with our local FAA partners here, Catherine and Lori, we're starting to have some letters written in concert with each other. And uh, Catherine just authored one for us down in Southern California. And that reminds me of a point that I wanted to make is when we're talking about these obstructions and projects going in that when you get the airspace determination or the project sponsor gets that airspace determination and it says it's you know determined not to be a hazard to navigable airspace provided that these conditions are met which is raising the minimum having obstruction lights this category of aircraft can no longer circle east of the field those types of things a lot of the project sponsors look at that and say well the the FAA approved the project And it's not an approval. It's just saying if you do these things, which consequently have a a negative impact on the airport, you can go ahead and put your building there. So there's kind of that misconception there. Then that's also part we get those airspace studies as part of the overall intent to overall if there's, you know, project um, within the area. And some of them don't penetrate the CFR uh, 77 
uh, surface there, your, your transitional approach, whatever it might be, but it's still inconsistent from a, a noise standpoint, or it's just outside the 65 dB line, you know, and it, but it's two inches this way and it's going, okay, you know, we're thinking, how is that going to help the people that are going to be there? And how does that help the airport? So again, it's really that education and outreach. And I think the theme of, of today is just uh, being active in your community and, and getting them invested, getting those people that would just rather say, nah, I don't care, or they really dislike the airport is trying to change their heart and mind and and showing them how it benefits them. And it kind of got off a little bit of, of the overrule process, but that ultimately I think is why those overrules do happen because people don't understand. I just think we came full circle back to working with your community being a partner with your community, because if you can get them on your side, then the airport will thrive. So thank you, Amy. That was that was perfect. Are there other things airports can do to protect them from incompatible land uses? And maybe a better question might be, are there things that FAA or Caltrans can do to help airport sponsors? Well, um, I, I can speak from the from Caltrans is you, we have a um, very talented staff, whether it's our, our airport safety officers, our engineers, our planners, and our, our grant specialists. But from education, we can help and support an education and outreach. Perhaps we can go and, and speak uh, to some elected officials or at city councils or even to airport land use commissions. Some of those members are new. Um, we're planning on um, having an educational program here. And hopefully when, when travel restrictions uh, loosen from from the pandemic that we can get out in person, but just helping voice the message of what the airport is, why it's important to have compatible land uses, and and just that education of of what the airport's doing from an operational standpoint as well, and helping the new manager. You have airports that are in rural areas that it's their first, you know, this is the, the their first job running an airport, and they kind of got handed the airport because they were good at something else within the county. And we'd love to be there to support them, to help give them that education, as well as what ACA does. And we've got AAAE that have great programs to help educate, you know, the airport management. But we are here as an asset to help have that voice. Um, And also partnering with their local pilot group uh, to see if people can give rides in planes to elected officials. What better way to say, here's what an airport does and here's how aircraft operate than showing them in person as long as they don't get airsick, but that also creates some, some investment and helps it resonate, you know, the, the, the airport operation resonate with the elected official that, oh, it might be their first time and, and now it means something to them. So those are just some ideas, but we certainly can help there. Fantastic. Can FAA help pay for the purchase of buffer zones? If we wanted to buy land to kind of buffer our airports, will you guys help pay or will Caltrans? Okay, so... Under AIP, there's specific rules as to what the entitlements or, or the, the AIP funds can be can be used for. And although there's there's certain land areas, your runway protection zone, your runway safety area, those parcels are eligible for federal involvement. Purchasing parcels that are a buffer around the airport. Although the FAA is very supportive of that, we can our AIP generally does not stretch at all. You know, the case by case, but generally, a, that's not eligible for airport improvement program funding, FAA funding. We do again. We we encourage 
the community to look at land use zoning. I, I know a number of airport directors who, the, 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 with the funds that that they receive from the communities or with con, working with the community, they will go ahead and purchase parcels of land around the airfield. And then they turn those into whether it's crop production or something that brings in income into the airport. So even though the FAA is not involved in it, their community, the airport works with the community to go ahead and buy those parcels. And then they find a way to make them revenue producing for the airport. So there, I, I know that there's a lot of collaboration between airports and their communities to buy that buffer, but typically that's not something that's AIP eligible. Amy, I know Caltrans has a loan program and A&D grant program and a couple of other things. Will the state help sponsors buy buffer zone, true buffer zone outside of the uh, AOA? So we have the acquisition and development grant that may, uh, similar to the FAA, qualify to help airports acquire adjacent land. Uh, But there are things that, you know, I guess metrics that have to be met. I'm searching for the word and I can't find it, but (laughs) criteria that, uh, that, that have to be met to meet that. And unfortunately, we have not been able to fund that A&D grant program for three years, and we probably won't be able to next year. So anytime soon, unless it's a matching grant from the FAA with an AIP, because they met the requirements to qualify for an AIP grant to purchase land. At this point, we don't have a mechanism to help airports purchase, purchase any adjacent land. Okay, thanks. That's good to know. You know, the topic today was airport land use compatibility planning and compliance. And I just wanted to give each of you the opportunity, if you had some uh, final thoughts on everything that we've talked about, if there's anything that perhaps we missed that you think the viewers or the uh, members of ACA ought to be aware of. I think for me, we we encompassed everything. I think the, the big takeaway is stronger a community outreach. I think you see the airports that have a really good, strong community network are beginning to thrive and, and maybe um, not have as many issues with airport land use compatibility moving forward. There are existing, certainly, but uh, just opening that line of communication, utilizing the resources that you have. Uh, know that uh, the state is your friend, and so is the FAA. Really, we are here. We all have the same interests, and and we're working together much better now uh, at at protecting our airports and helping our sponsors get get to what they need. But education and outreach is my theme. Yeah, and I, I think I would add to that. You know, from the FAA's perspective, when in doubt, reach out to us. You know, we're there to work with you, and if you have a question, reach out to your planner, to your engineer, you know, to Lori or to myself, um, I, I think that would be, um, we'd rather answer the question up front than have to deal with the fallout on the back end. And I guess my my final thoughts are, my, my thoughts are that the FAA and, and um, the state are here to collaborate with the airport operator in the community. And we see that the the airport serves a role in the community, in the state, and in the nation. And we are here to help the community manage that 
that facility or or to help it thrive. No trying worries. to show the, a strong partnership between a community and its airport really shows how an airport could benefit the community when they're when they are working in lockstep with each other. Yeah. I agree. I agree with everything you guys all said. So you made my closing easy. Thank you very much. And I want to, on behalf of the ACA board, just thank each of you for sharing your time to discuss this critically important issue. It was a lot of fun for me, and I hope you had a, had a good time talking about this as well. I certainly hope we can do this again soon. Thank you for listening to the Association of California Airports podcast, a podcast designed for California GA airport professionals. If you have a question you would like answered or would like more information about ACA, visit us at calairports.com forward slash contact.